0: The goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Welcome
1: to Absolute Empowerment. Uh, Tonight we have a very special guest with us, uh, Coach Curtis Fry, who has been the head track coach for the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks for 27 years and uh, has some roots with East Carolina University. We're going to talk about that. The first thing I want to do, Coach, is just welcome you to the show tonight.
2: Hey, thanks a lot, Coach. Man, I've been trying to get here for a long time. You know, I've heard great things about it.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. You know, this is a a Christian podcast. Uh, Anything you want to talk about in relationship to your faith, your testimony, uh, some of the things that you overcame in your coaching career, some of the things that you overcame growing up and getting into coaching. We want to get into that if we can. And, uh, but I I, bet I want to first talk a little bit about your background, of course. Uh, you know, in 1974, you began as an assistant coach at ECU after graduating from East Carolina University. And uh, I'll talk a little bit later on about uh, Coach Bill Carson, who I also had the opportunity to coach with myself. So we'll get back to that. Uh, But from uh, 1979 to 84, you were at Douglasburg High School. And then 84 to 88, assistant uh, track coach at NC State, where uh, every year you were there, you won the conference. Uh, 1988 to 92, assistant at Florida. 92 to 96 then unc chapel hill as assistant head coach and then you were hired at uh, university of south carolina as the head track coach in 1996 and you have been incredibly successful with that program since then Uh, just kind of going through a few of your accolades here uh, you started the fry foundation uh, which basically raises money and supports diabetes and mental illness. Uh, you coached 28 Olympians, 14 of which were medalists, uh, 14 SEC athletes of the year. You were three-time SEC coach of the year, a three-time USTCA national coach of the year, uh, a Nike coach of the year in 2001. You coached 60 NCAA champions, 122 SEC champions, 21 academic All-Americans, and over 500 NCAA All-Americans. And uh, in 1974, you became the first African-American coach at East Carolina University, uh, which is incredible. And, uh, Coach, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that in relationship to Uh, Even before East Carolina, growing up, uh, your experience with athletics, uh, how you landed at ECU as the first African-American coach, a little bit about your experience there. And, of course, any of the hardships or challenges that you overcame with your faith. Wow. (laughs)
2: Yeah, You did a good job and uh by my faith is the reason that we have accomplished the things or any small thing that we have because without god and his grace we would not have been in the places we were having the impact that we've had it's all about uh giving god the credit he knew before i was born that i'd be at this place at this time speaking uh Amen. If I give him the uh, the honor and the praise, that he would re- reward, he, even the the steps that every step that we take, I've been rewarded with a wife of over forty five years, who, who was in East Carolina. Uh, I uh, I have three kids, uh, and one of my daughters went to East Carolina. My sister is a graduate of East Carolina University. I have seven grandchildren, and my first grandchild is graduating from Spartan Erie High this year. So I have been truly, truly blessed. Yes, sir. So- <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh-huh. sir. Well, uh, getting into your East Carolina experience, uh, I had the pleasure of coaching with Coach Carson. And when I was at Carolina, my, uh, I was at Carolina for 10 years. I brought Coach Carson in because I had such a passion for speed for football through my career. Uh, I wanted to have him give his philosophy, his methodology to a large group of coaches up there. And I was so glad that I got him in there. I still have it on video. Coach Carson was a man of the basics. He was a man that believed in hard work. And uh, he was a man that was, uh, had the heart of, of the Lord. Um, and he he didn't pull any punches where that was concerned. And I really enjoyed knowing him and I really enjoyed uh I really enjoyed the presentation that he gave at Carolina and I enjoyed interacting with him every day at East Carolina during the time that he and I were there together. Uh, But I really liked uh, how he would simplify things and uh, his success was based on uh, more simplicity, uh, hard work, effort, overachievement, overcoming adversity, all those types of things. And I really liked the way that he interacted with the track athletes.
2: Wow. Now you're talking about a giant. I mean, Coach Carson brought me to East Carolina. Um, Coach uh, Henry Trevathan helped me uh, come out for football. Um, Coach Carson discovered me at Sand Hills Community College when he came. And I was uh, a student there. And I was helped coaching at Union Pines High School, and he came to watch Alfred McCremen and uh, Sammy Phillips, who were two uh, high school All-Americans. They they were tremendous. Al was a uh, a six eleven high jumper that ran the hurdles really fast, and and Sammy was the number one kid in the country, state in, uh, in hurdles that ran thirteen six. And I helped uh, helped work with them. And uh, and as I was at a track meet and Coach Carson and I started talking and I said, uh, I can help you get those guys to East Carolina if you can get me an opportunity to try out for football for Sonny Randall. And that's that's kind of led me there. And from there, um, basically, Dr. Lee, uh, Leo Jenkins um, met me. He and Clarence Stasevich. And I have been working with the uh, – young Democrats for North Carolina from junior college. And I was, and that brought me there. And I brought some of my skills in politics and Leo was running for the governor after he retired. That was his dream. And I had helped uh, the current governor uh, as a young African-American Democrat. And so that's how I, I was able to be the assistant track coach and the head soccer coach. And they were looking for an African-American. I helped uh, Coach Dye uh, recruit uh, Alphon Hunter and the area of uh, around there, Willie Hawkins, as an undergrad. And all those guys were friends of mine, and I became a recruiter. And Coach Dye. Was an advocate of mine and Coach Leo Jenkins and and Clarence Stass retired me. Yes, after I graduated. Were you familiar with Henry Van Sant? Well, Coach Coach Van Sant is the is the one that got me the opportunity to to try football, right? And so that no, Coach Coach Van Sant's my guy. Yeah, he, he Coach was Carson together. Yes, sir. Yeah,
1: he was my guy, too. Uh, I really enjoyed interacting with Coach Van Sant uh, during the time I was there as well. Um,
2: so, could you tell us a little bit more about your foundation? The Fry Foundation is something I. The accolades and accomplishments that we had, my son, CJ, who played football for Lou Holtz here, and he was an outback center, and, uh, and he was a offensive lineman of the Outback Bowl and all of that tore his knee up. And then he became, uh you know, he graduated in the school of business. And then now he works in Texas. Well, my nephew, Philip, who played at Gardner Wealth, they sent me down after about 11 years ago and they said, what, what can we do to, to elevate? Because I have, I have diabetes. and How can we bring attentions to diabetes? And we have, people in our family that struggle with depression and anxieties and, and and bipolar and different issues which we were not talking about. And they, they convinced me that rather than do a lot of walking and 5Ks and, and, and that we, we make contributions every year to, to every kind of uh, foundation for, for health, it's just, why don't we get us a non-for-profit And formulate such that we could touch live, and I, I didn't want to do it, but then they convinced me we could touch more people, and so I decided I would do it. And the next thing we did, we started a walk for diabetes, and then we started a golf tournament over in Pinehurst, and then we do a gala. Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, Jackie Joyner and Carl Lewis, and those kind of persons came on board to help help us out. And they would come every year to Pinehurst to play golf. This year we're going to have Phil Ford, and yeah. uh, and he's going to be our guy, a celebrity golfer. Donnell Wolford, is and and Danny Peoples from NC State. So guys who I've been in their lives, I recruited Phil. To try to get Phil to come to East Carolina because I recruited all sports as the only black coach that were there. Uh, Ruff McNeil, I convinced Ruff McNeil to come to school there. He's my guy. So uh, I helped help talk uh, East Carolina into uh, hiring Ruffin And, and that was a process. So I've been involved with East Carolina from the, from the time of 1972 uh, to, to right now, 45 years later. Yes, sir. I had the honor of
1: coaching with Ruff as well uh, twice um. Also, uh, I did not mention that you're also in the the, uh, the Hall of Fame at East Carolina University, and I know that's you consider that to be a great honor as well. Um, particularly looking at you know the, the way that you came in there, and uh, you know that did did you play football your whole career there, or tell me a little bit about that?
2: Never never. Okay. I I went through a fall of the year and didn't make it on a coach uh coach uh Sonny Randall. We just didn't make it together. And then I stayed on Coach Carson had brought me and then I went out for track, which I wasn't very good. And I coach Carson didn't have an assistant coach. Gotcha. So I got involved with Coach Carson and then I got involved with helping recruits. Uh, and everybody saw that I had a skill to the to help get an athlete from Eastern North Carolina to come. I joined a fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, and I I organized uh, a group called Souls, um, uh-huh. uh, and, and a group called EBO, Independent Black Organization on East Carolina campus. I would start voter registration, and then. Uh, Next thing they did was sent me to some clinics, and, and, and I learned how to coach soccer. And then at the soccer, I still have the winningest record in East Carolina history. Uh, we beat Duke, NC State, Duke, Appalachian, uh, UNC Chapel Hill twice during our four years. We beat uh, Campbell College, who was the Division II national champions in that year. And those are the things that brought me the recruitment that brought me to the Hall of Fame, which I never thought, and the fact that I was two time <laughs> Olympic coach. Yeah. And and the Hall of Fame coach for a track and field. And in North Carolina that we won so many championships down in Fairville and Douglasburg. I think those are the reasons that I was elected uh to the Hall of Fame because there's so many people athletically that are not in that Hall of Fame that I just I just feel so honored to be in the company of the uh, of, of Ruffin McNeils and McNeels and Crumpler and and, and uh, Jay Kempley, um and, and so Eddie Hicks because I convinced Eddie Hicks to come to school also Hawkins Hicks Green all of those are, are guys that that I help coach die recruit yes sir
1: well i'm just honored to have you on the show and i'm I'm very honored to finally be able to meet you and and talk a little bit more uh, about your experiences at east carolina and uh, your overall coaching successes as well um looking at a little bit with nuts and bolts because i'm just crazy about speed development and have been for about 30 years but uh uh, just looking at a few, uh, I guess you could say figures in track and field and a little bit about what they emphasized. Uh, what what can you say about Tom Tellez? What I say about Tom Tellez is he was all about arm stroke. That's what I picked up from him. <laughs> and uh, oh. so uh, a couple couple things about Tom Tellez.
2: Yeah, yeah. Coach Les is a genius. You got to realize Coach Les' background um, is, is in uh, engineering and architect. and so then he he applied that to the sport of track and field. A long way getting to know a guy um, by the name of Will Ross, who was a physicist who worked for Dwight Eisenhower, and and uh, and so Tom use his background in science along with Wilbur to design uh, patterns of acceleration. Right. And and so acceleration requires arm use early to get to max speed because the first three steps is 60% of max velocity. And if you don't put your feet down in the right position, you can't propel yourself from from zero, from inertia to 60% so tom was big on sled pulls arm moves early and then get up with relaxation for for the finish and so those are things everyone are basics but everyone hadn't been emphasizing at, the, at that time and right so those are things to learn uh, dr leroy walker was the biggest break for me coach Coach Carson did not go to a lot of clinics. So when I became his assistant, he made sure that I would go get all the books and do the clinics, bring the information. And my job was to uh, give him information from other people because he was very, very uh, competitive against all those Tom Deleuze's and Leroy Walkers. Yeah. But he – he, he uh, and he would apply and help Coach Carson developed something called rotary running. I have to understand that uh, the knees have to be even at the time of contact of the ground right. at max speed, and it had to come to a front side instead of back side. Uh, in the olden days, even on the call Tom, there was a long back swing. And so we come to learning from Dr. Raf Man that you shorten the back swing and make most of the running at max speed come from front side. And right. uh, so, uh,
1: now, you know, with football, of course, a lot of uh, strength coaches studying speed always want to go to Charlie Francis and uh, yeah. what he's known for, I guess. One of the things he's known for a lot of coaches use in my profession is, is tempo training and trying to figure out where to put tempo training in the weekly schedule. Um, So uh, do you implement different forms of tempo training?
2: Yeah. You know, that, that comes from, um, from San Diego state uh, from way back in the days interval and tempo um, so that you can get more reps of the right mechanics, and don't don't run at max, but run at right. And so if you can, uh, you can take tempo from all all distances by multiple yum runs of thirties. Football coach has been doing tempo turnarounds and suicides for basketball coach. Just have a whistle and let a person keep uh uh repetitive runs but make sure the arms are swinging and the knee is there and and then do it uh enough times that that it become a habit yeah and so tempo is a means of breaking bad habit because kids have been running all of their lives right uh it takes a thousand reps of doing something right to break a single bad habit, but it takes one bad habit to return to the bad habit that's why football coaches hit right angles at everything that's why they push sleds and that's why they turn the hips and pop the right angles most powerful angle uh in the in the body uh yeah. a, a boxer protects a right angle and applies force um uh, so tempo is rehearsing right angles for a distance that you want to go most efficient. So if you're going to run 100, you got to run enough repetitions of, of 100 meters in a proper mechanic. If you're going to run 60, 50, 30, then those are things you got to do 100 times. Right. And, uh, and then, then you become efficient at it.
1: So a couple other guys. Uh <clears throat> Bill Anderson uh puts me in mind of wicket training. Uh do you do much
2: wicket training? Well, I I coach Carson and I started before wickets were called wickets. We 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 had that's a measurement of a distance of a person that's, that runs fast for the first acceleration, the first 21 steps our yeah. 20 steps. Uh, and so we were running, we ran over sticks and yeah. then we, uh, then I turned the sticks into, uh, slices of rubber that is six inches wide and 18 inches long. And measure off the first step from a line at, at four feet and a half and the next step, four feet and nine inches and, and it progresses by three inches until you reach maximum speed. And then you spread it out until they run 40-yard dash. And and that's how you get a person to run from a 4.8 to a 4.6 is the same number of strides, 21. But stride length and stride frequency, so 21 steps is frequency, and as you increase the, the stride length, then that person ends up increasing the distance, and then this time ends up being the same. So the same number of steps, increase the stride, and that's how you get. And so then become wickets. You put wickets down, and such that person has to run over things. So we use wickets, and we set them up for acceleration. Then we put them at max speed, where a person's max stride is Let's say you want them in the middle of the race to be at seven feet apart. When well, you get them accustomed to to running a build up into wickets in place, so they can run seven, and then you start moving those out so that you so that they learn how to hit force at, at while they're in a, in a max speed, and then you do use wickets later for fatigue, right uh, so you reduce fatigue, so so that you reduce the distance, and from seven feet back to six feet, because a hundred starts out at at five feet, or up to uh, twenty-one steps, and then you go you know twenty steps of where you're running out at seven feet, and then you got to reduce them six, eleven, on down to back into the five, into the finish if not people will start overstriding when they in fatigue. So yep. those are yes, uh, we do use wicking. Uh it's changed from running over sticks to running over rubber bands. It's changed from pulling uh tires to pulling weights and sleds, from pulling balloons and uh, parachutes yeah uh, to <laughs> Very few things have changed, but the names of what you've done has changed. From pulling with a rubber band to pulling them with uh, a, a tiny rope to now you have a, a 1080, yeah, which just puts amount of force for the first step to 80 meters. So not different, but got more mechanics.
1: Yeah, Sprint 1080 is about 20 grand for each uh, unit. I went up to Ohio State to their strength uh, clinic and they had a Sprint 1080 up there. But, uh, you know, I used to use run rockets and they also probably had 20 run rockets up there. But uh, I like the run rockets for football because I could train so many guys at one time. Everybody had their own belt and they could just click in and click out.
2: Yep. And uh, I got them in my garage. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I was down there today getting signs for the Fry Foundation to put around a golf course out at Whispering Pine. Uh this okay. week we're gonna be there. And uh, and I and I had to get out the sponsors and people that supported us. And uh and I just looked over there and I go like, Oh, there it is, I ought to take that to practice. Everybody laughed me out of here. <laughs> <It'll come laughs> away. Uh, and but they accomplished the same thing. But It's back to individual attention. Group right. attention will get you uh, get you run out of the business. Yeah. Uh, personal attention and personal relationships are key to people's success. If group, you have no no relationship, it becomes business, and then you can't hit the hot button or the means in which to push the adrenaline. To, to step to the level to compete if you don't know me personally you can't get me in a struggle to be successful
1: right and, uh, well i don't know if you're familiar with a guy named kevin mcnair he's the first guy that i met uh when i was trying to figure out how to train football players for speed i was a defensive back in college so i was always interested in trying to get faster and then uh when i went to visit the philadelphia eagles when i was at bucknell uh the strength coach brought in Kevin McNair from across the country into to train them so I think he was kind of like the godfather of speed for football he was one of Charlie Francis's uh, teammates and you know basically was the first person that I ever really ran into that really taught you how to put force into the ground the importance of force into the ground uh, how your arms controlled your legs and and then over time, what we found was, you know, it's yeah, you got to put force in the ground, but the fastest people in the world get off the ground. So uh, yeah, so that's always been interesting to me. And uh, let's to so with-
2: become the big, big part of, of, of uh, teaching the central nervous system to return force. That's right. I mean, that's weight room with with snatches and cleans, the Olympic lifts lifts uh help you create the power but then the plyometrics apply the force if you can be a you can have people can can uh can do 700 pound front squats and can't run fast right but the plyo transfer where you get the hops and the jumps and uh, those have to be coordinated in uh, into the weight room to help a person to be able to put the force in the ground sure Uh, and so but it, it's still not old. That used to in my days we used to jump over the the uh, benches in the locker room. Yeah, and how fast you jump the benches on, off, on, off, on, off, and then go outside and uh, uh, I, uh, Terry Long, a guy that was in East Carolina that I got to go there to sign when I was coaching in high school um, with Ed Emery, I walked him out and they had that small fence there. And the guy uh, uh jumped the fence just and he was a three hundred and twenty pound guy that was only six foot tall, and Ed turned around and said, "Let's go in we don't we don't we don't need to see him run no forty <laughs>
1: there you go
2: <laughs> He signed the guy, and the guy hadn't played high school football because <laughs> he was so explosive and, now do you
1: think there's a connection with uh let's say a heavier, you're able to squat heavier weight. And uh, do you see any correlation there with that type of strength and then uh, short acceleration
2: ability? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, but you still have to have a way to, to train the central nervous system. You're either born with a central nervous system with the capacity to fire And most people don't train the system. They don't wake the system up. They just get stronger and stronger and stronger. But if you don't do anything about engaging the glutes, the hip flexor, uh, through through jumping, uh, jumping rope, or jumping, even Muhammad Ali, guys, you have to work on the central nervous system, your ability to fire the muscle. Now, if the muscle is weak and you're firing it, it gets hurt. So you can't have somebody can just fire, fire, fire and don't have no strength to support this the natural nervous system that good parents bless you with. Right. But everybody has potential to run faster. Everybody's got... Got a central nervous system. The slowest person can be, the, be that person's fast. Yeah. A donkey can win, uh, the fastest donkey can win the Donkey Derby, but he cannot win the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, gotcha. Thoroughbreds running in Kentucky. Donkeys running Donkey Derby. So, makes sense to me. You have to train uh, what you have. What you can control is yourself. Be the best you. Yeah. And every day put the best you effort out. And when you get people doing that, they have to learn that failing is okay because sometimes being your very best, you're going to get beat. But it isn't your best.
1: Uh, you know, movement was always so important to me. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I always, I always, over time, I guess, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to train my skill guys and even some of my linebackers, like sprinters and hurdlers. And uh, one of the guys that I kind of connected myself with was Boo Shake Snyder. And I really, uh, you know, uh, I was very much influenced by Boo in that, you know, one of the things that he talked about with those guys is you got to come off of the heavy leg work once you get into in season and train, and change the ballistics because you want to recapture coordination proprioception elasticity and so uh, i always really uh liked that theory i guess you could say with those skilled guys for football How, what do you think about
2: that 100% you can't be you can't be training and competing uh, heavy load slows the uh, the muscles' ability to handle the central nervous system's natural ability to fight. So you, you're gonna have dull play, dull movement. I mean, you need sleep and recovery and lots of water uh, because you know if you're dehydrated and you, and your elasticity is limited and you can be as powerful as you want to be. So it's a a combination of things. You uh, it, you don't want to be fatigued in the biggest contest. Yeah. Uh, you got to taper, even in football. And when you're playing in the SEC, I mean, I've watched people. You've got to have so many people uh, because people keep loading because lots of times people believe toughness you play through. And many times you don't have to be tough. You have to be fresh. A good strength coach is the reason most teams win. Yeah. Well, hey,
1: I'm retired now, but I like that. Uh, <laughs> I really – I love to get down there sometime and see what you all do, and I really like to look at those uh, measurements because you, you, I've fooled around with a lot of different measurements with wickets, you know.
2: And, hey, come uh, by, and we got a formula. We, we work. We work out, um, and are having the new guy. I mean, booing him are good. boo is the greatest about uh, muscle and, and muscle recovery and force, force application in any event from high yeah. jump to triple jump to, to, to a hundred meters. He, he's, he's absolute best. Right. And, yeah. but I got a guy that he and, uh, Oh, God. He's a, a guy that worked at Texas a and and I can't think. He doesn't work there any longer. But what they do is he was a descendant of um, Tom Tellez yep. and um, Vince Anderson. And okay. What Vince has done over the years is accumulate the best people's results and – how fast they were at different distances from the first step to the last step of a hundred meters. And, and, and uh, so what we have is where the wickets are for the person that runs a uh, ten eight, or a person that runs a four, five. And so we can progress our wickets from a person that's a four, eight. So we can put a ladder down, so you can run the repetitions. So you're doing your tempo in a stride pattern that's a that's for a four-five guy. Right. And then we get enough of those that that, that becomes a, a, a four-five guy. And then we got we got the layout for a four-three guy. So we'll progress the person through the first 10 steps of a four-three. And then we'll get it to an 11th and a uh, Twelfth, so we got a whole formula that laid out that we draw on the ground in different colors.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh.
2: So we take the wickets away, and then we run over the top of the colors, the crayon we put down, and let the person. And then we put the wicket out at max speed for the rest of the distance. So we got it in a book.
1: I got you. So it's somewhat individualized in relationship to how far you can project your
2: hips through the air? Yes. Got you. Dr. Ralph Mann, is, if you ever get a chance, that Ralph Mann published uh, what most of the people around the world study to determine what position your hips are going to be at max velocity. Yeah. I have and it heard- changes per hundred person so when when a new group coming like right now you got um, you got more nine point uh, under under 10 second kids ever in history yeah so in turn the model has changed from what it was when Carl Lewis's hips were moving So yeah. all the computer does is keep taking a guy that's five, six foot five where he's gotta be in force, and where a guy that's five foot five, let's run the fastest, that's run whatever force he can put down. So you can take the steps for a shorter person that runs four or five and a tall person that runs four per five, and you can write a prescription of Wicked for the each different size. Hmm. I can take Gail Devers' pattern. And when I get a girl that's five foot three that can vertical jump and can do a three step bound into the sand, and prove her bound to be like Gail Devers, move her over to a stride, and in turn turn try and turn her into the fastest woman uh or at at five three. Yeah. And that's what people have done. That's what Boo and them have got at LSU. They got an overlay of of uh, clear plastic that they just take the workout and they flop it over on what a girl or a guy ran uh, 25 years ago. <laughs> and they try to duplicate the next athlete that comes in and they put them into that that overlay and they find where you are slower at what point in that race than this person that ran this prescribed time. And then they work on that over a three-year period. Gotcha. And the same uh, can happen in all sports. Yeah. I don't want to miss the opportunity to uh, to talk about you said faith. Yes, sir. I'm Deacon Curtis Fry ever New a Baptist Church. My okay. faith is from the time I was uh, a 12-year-old or younger at Fry's Chapel Baptist Church uh, to the time I was 18 years old and going to uh, sunrise service for Easter. Um, and going and coming back from East Carolina when I was 20. One year old, and after having sitting in a rainy car um, with a guy named Blake, who was all American in wrestling. And he was a young man, and he said to me, Have you ever been saved? And I sit there with him. He was a white kid that was a hundred and uh, I think a hundred and twenty-one pound wrestler. And then he and said, uh, what you have to do, all you have to do is confess Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and acknowledge it, and say you believe, and you are saved. I've been living all my life going to the Baptist church, and I was waiting to figure what it was. I couldn't. I knew. I I knew. I've been studying Bible verses. Uh, my mama and them made us repeat, them. We had a holiness preacher that if you made a mistake, you need to come to the front of the church and and ask for forgiveness. But I had not confessed Christ. I did it in that Easter that year. I went home from East Carolina. And I went to the sunrise at 5 30 in the morning on Easter. Blake had told me what it took, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't feel no different after I said it. But that morning I was sitting there in the church, and all the my aunties and my grandmother and all of them were praying and washing feet and 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 the, my daddy and all of them were going over telling stories about how they walked a, a five miles of school and they only had one pair of brown pants and the brother had a blue pair and and how they worked in the field all day and and how they been how they saw that my grandfather would get hit walking in vests because he was on the wrong side of the street they was telling these horrific things. And I and for some reason I start crying I'm a, a 20 year old 21 year old try to be football player in college and it come to me and they all come and they put their hands on me and they start saying why are you crying I said because I don't have no story I I haven't I don't know what being saved is I don't have I haven't been through not having a meal to eat. I have not been through not having two pair of shoes. I haven't been through not being able to go to college or drinking at a water fountain where, where, where black people couldn't drink. I had not been to a movie theater where uh, I had to go to a different one. I saw one in the ass, but I personally had not been through it. So I didn't know the struggles and they hugged me and they said live long enough you will have a testimony. A few years later in East Carolina, I I went to Boone, North Carolina. I had to stay in the hospital because I had a cyst on the back of my neck. They left me in the hospital, and then I come back. And a few years later, I had a cyst on my lung, and they had to remove it. And then a few years later, I had a child born and he had strider. And a few years later, I had a testimony. God helped me overcome because of the struggles I have. I was able to get up so I could be there and lay beside my mother when she was in hospice telling me, I told you he's coming back. And I said, no, mom, you've got to keep living. She says, no, he said he's coming back. Don't revive me. Jesus is coming back. He's coming to get me. I need you to tell me you're going to be ready when he comes. Salvation was different for me at different stages from the time I was 12 to the time I was 18 to the time I got to be laying beside my mama in a hospice. I was saved, but I didn't have no testimony. It didn't have enough strength to talk to somebody that's gonna go through some pains. The sun ain't gonna always rise. There's gonna be some rain sometime. And you need to go through the rain so you can appreciate the sunshine. Jesus didn't promise us that he's gonna keep us from going through struggles. He promised he was going to be there to get us through the struggle. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get to tell the stories. No, don't um, be sorry.
1: That's the whole purpose um, of my podcast, Coach. Reach on, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I need you to make a move to your left or right so I can see you. I can't see you right now.
2: (laughs) I'm leaning over.
1: Here we go. (laughs) go.
2: Hey, I went to – Coach Carson took us out to – Blackjack Church. Yeah. When I was yeah. a sophomore, junior in college. <laughs> took all black boys out there to Sunday school. Okay. They took us three times in a row. We went and ate and they fed us. But this is a tough one. And then Coach Carson, someone talked to Coach Carson about why he keep bringing all these black boys out here. <laughs> Coach Carson changed membership that's why I love this man Yeah, he said if I can't have faith that would be influenced on my black kids I can't be here now everybody wasn't that way but somebody approached him yeah. I tell that story to tell you what kind of man his faith was not something that that he talked about he lived it and he lived it when I wasn't the fastest guy I wasn't the strongest guy and I didn't get no points. Yeah. His faith was bigger for a guy that didn't get, didn't do anything for South Carolina. I mean for the East Carolina University track. Right. He did something for a guy that needed identity in his faith. I had to know that a white man who was a Christian would put his faith up where his mouth was because I had never seen it. I was young in my life, and it created so that I can have a different relationship with people that are not of the same color. And I think to this day, our kids say, Coach Fry, he going to not treat us all equal, but he's going to treat us fair.
1: Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I've always loved about athletics, and you know, my father was a coach too. Is, uh, I mean, I, I, I just – I never really thought about race or anything like that very much. I just thought about trying to win, you know, and, uh, I did, I did, uh, I used to pick up some guys in a, in a van when I was coaching at ECU and take them to Cornerstone church. They probably oh. knew, uh, who the white guy was coming at Cornerstone church, you know, at that time. But, uh, yeah. I had about a half a dozen guys I'd pick up and take there. And, uh, this, Thanks. this, uh, Emblem on my jacket. Armored Life uh, is my website, and I started that because uh, I just felt like after I retired, and you know, I just wondered, is there anything I can do to uh, help save some of the guys that you know went by the wayside during their career? You know, how you get you get a certain class uh, coming in as freshmen, and then by the time they get to their senior year, there's not a whole lot of them left for some reason. Yeah. You know, You know, you really like to think that you can help help them stay in school and help them become successful through their career.
2: Well, you know that's that's a walk getting somebody to be thirty five or forty years old, so that the cognitive side of the brain has developed. Uh, Lots of time you got people got to go through their struggle, they're knocked down and get up, and somebody's got to be there with them when they get knocked down and tell them they're going to recover. Yes. Just like we do in rehabbing somebody's injury. The soul and 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 the person gets injured. Yeah. And we just all we can be is that's what I want to say, pray for me, brother. You're gonna pray for them, still be there and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna be here because I know you're gonna go through that struggle. You're gonna fall down. And, yeah. that, and that's what all we can do is be somebody that's a, a conduit for return. And be that role model and the examples. And they got to see people that were there, not just because they were a good athlete.
1: Yeah.
2: I tell you, Lou Holtz does something that's incredible. Lou Holtz remembers and calls injured football players. Not the ones that made it. Yeah. And and I don't like everything about Lou, but I do know he calls my son who tore up his knee mm. and he calls people at Notre Dame just to say, Hey, you all right, Bo? And you know, your name. I, I was with him at uh Notre Dame, uh, South Carolina's game down there and you wouldn't be the outpouring of the players that came to see that old guy. Yeah. And I don't agree with his politics. I ain't, I ain't into that one, but I know this, he cares about yeah. his kids. Yeah. And that's what we can, all we can do, coach is let them know we care. And those that say we don't care whenever they fall down, hey, don't let it be true. Right. <clears throat> what well, you say about me can't be, i uh, be about who I am. I, I don't worry about that.
1: <laughs> I hear that. Well, I feel so honored to have had you on the show and, uh, Thank you so much for sharing those things. And uh, we'll try to get it out there where we get some listeners. And I know the Pirate Nation uh, tunes into the sports objective now. I think they get more and more followers as they progress. But uh, I just appreciate it so much and finally being able to connect with you. And uh,
2: I want to tell the Pirate Nation to follow the Fry foundation okay diabetes.org go down make a contribution we there are kids that need counseling all around North Carolina there are kids that sit on steps and do arts because they are depressed and low and they need somebody we got friends out here that are members of Fry Foundation that are a counseling organizations My my cousin Barbara Falk is a counselor in in a a county, Moore County, and those kids around Lee County. And there's things that resources that kids can't get to that are in school. There are homeless kids that are in schools that sleep in cars. There are all kinds of people that need to be reached. And there are organizations that are national, but we need local grassroots people who know where kids are and families are. We need churches that take vouchers that that give a Fry Foundation uh, uh, a voucher to use in counseling. So if there's a kid struggling and thinking about suicide or a kid who don't have a a service dog that's got diabetes, that they can reach the Fry Foundation and we will find a way to support them. And if there's kids that can go to East Carolina camp for diabetes at the hospital. Right. We will find no way for somebody to get there. But we need resources and we don't turn our resources over to national associations. Gotcha. We 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 go right in the neighborhood. So yeah. East you, I'm the same old grassroot guy from Eastern North Carolina that taught Carrie that played with Carrie Cadet. And Ruffin McNeils and all them guys, them my guys, Danny Kepley. Those y'all don't know; they don't know these names. Uh, I know. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people know Uh, those names. Butch but Stradman. Yeah. Now we talk about Carlessa Crumpler. I mean, we talk about some great ones. I know. I uh, just—I'm so proud of ECU and its connections to Eastern North Carolina. Yeah, Eastern North Carolina is the uh, greatest place for a person to come up, and and I—I I, I love it. and I love the people from Eastern North Carolina. And go Pirates!
1: Well, I moved here in '91, and I'm still here somehow. So I hear you there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, thanks it's so much, coach. Uh really appreciate it. If I can ever help and, and you have a minute, I don't mind. I love getting back on and okay. spending time with my my family. East yes, Carolina. Sir. Now I'm gonna say things that ain't everybody gonna like, but hey, they know it came from me.
1: Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't worry about that. And uh that was kind of uh, agreed upon when I decided to do this podcast. So uh yeah, we want to we want talk about our Lord and Savior. And uh, we want to lift folks up every day. So we want to get up in the morning think about who we can lift up every single day. And I really appreciate your time, Coach. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign out now. Uh, we'll get back at it someday. And hopefully I can get down there and visit you and take a look at some of those uh, stride patterns you got set up.
2: Come on down, Coach. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, hey, one day, we'll all meet. Yes, sir. Hey. Well,
1: Jeff Connors uh, signing off for Absolute Empowerment. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Coach.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at The Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show and go pirates.